Hey, good morning. Good morning. Got a nice little buzz of chatter going on with the family this morning. I love it. As you guys are kind of finding your seats and getting settled, we're so glad that you are joining us this morning. We, um, just this morning in our prayer time before service, we just had really some some great expectation and some uh, just some words from the Lord, and we're going to share those in our worship time. Uh, we are expectant of what the Lord wants to do for us this morning because it's who He is. So would you stand with me as we begin to worship, and um, we are going to open hearts wide open this morning to receive from the Lord. So Heavenly Father, we just come in the name of Jesus Father, we are so grateful, we are so thankful this morning that you have poured out your great love towards us in Christ Jesus, your Son. Lord, thank you that you have withheld no good thing from us, Lord, because we are beloved sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you that the work of Jesus was finished on the cross, and there is absolutely nothing that I can do to make you love me more And there is nothing that I can do to make you love me less. Jesus, your love for me has been set. It has been set in an everlasting stone and a bedrock of love of Christ Jesus. Lord, we worship you this morning. Thank you that you have restored us to the heart of the Father who loves us with endearment and great, great love. Lord, we worship you this morning, and we honor you. We celebrate you, and we welcome Holy Spirit to move among us, to refresh us, to let his presence dwell among us. Lord, we worship you, and it's in your great name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
to read a few scriptures to us this morning. Um, the Bible says this in Psalms 107, 8. It says, so lift your hands and thank God for his marvelous kindness and for all his miracles of mercy for those he loves. How he satisfies the souls of thirsty ones and fills the hungry with all that is good. This is Colossians 2. In the same way you receive Jesus our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way. For you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. This morning, whenever we were praying, um, we had a sense of um, the Lord wanting to infuse people. And there was a picture. Um, he wants to infuse people with his goodness. There was a picture of almost like a line coming out of heaven, like a line of fluid that was coming from heaven. And all over the room, there were these like ivy bags. And on those ivy bags, there was the words that was hope, peace, healing, joy, um, just all the goodness of the Lord towards you. And what we felt like this morning is that you have an opportunity in your union with Christ to connect to whatever bag you have need of this morning, to whatever you need to be infused with by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is opportunity for you this morning and sometimes what I know just in, a, in an emergency room or in a hospital room, that a nurse normally will come and hook you up to the IV. But this morning, you have the opportunity to hook yourself into what you need. And so this morning, as we worship, it is building our lives upon this firm foundation of He satisfies the thirsty and the hungry with good things. Peace for chaos, joy for mourning and sadness and depression. This morning, hope if you're in fear of your future or what's coming next. He is the one who satisfies with good things in your union to him. So this morning, as we go back into this worship song, you have an opportunity to union yourself with Holy Spirit and His goodness to satisfy longings and desires in your heart this morning. So join us as we worship and connect by the power of the Holy Spirit as He comes and brings you every good thing this morning.
this song, y'all, from Pentecostal Fire. I don't know about you guys, but in the book of Acts, that is a demonstration of the identity of the church and what the church is looking like today. I want to say that again. Pentecostal fire, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is the identity of the church and what it's supposed to look like. Signs and miracles and wonders following the preaching of the gospel in those who believe. So I love this verse because it says that there is the same resurrection power that flows through my veins because Jesus raised from the dead and that same power dwells in me. We are living in a day for the signs and the miracles and the wonders of the kingdom of heaven to be evident in the earth. I don't know about you guys, but I'm hungry for that. Are you hungry for that this morning? It, 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 I don't know about y'all. I want to say it again. Are you hungry for that this morning? That comes as an expression of the great love that the Father has for us, through us, to those around us. There is a resurrection power that lives and dwells and moves in your being this morning. Amen. We're going to worship again, y'all. Worship like you mean it. Get crazy in here just a little bit. Get loose just a little bit. Do you ever feel like something is just constricting and holding you and just keeping you from having this place of freedom and movement in the Holy Spirit? This morning, can you be free? Just be free. There's no eyes on you this morning. You are worshiping for the audience of one, and he loves to see you free because that's what Jesus died for. He died so that you could be free and live in freedom. Amen.
we worship you this morning. Jesus, thank you that in our life union with you, God, our union with you, Lord, God, it's the most important thing. Lord, and I thank you that that union cannot be broken because Jesus has sealed that covenant with his blood. Lord, we worship you and thank you that resurrection power, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in us. Lord, we thank you, Lord. God, that your mission looks like something. It is destroying the works of the enemy. Lord, this morning, thank you for breathing life and hope and peace, Lord, infusing us with good things from your heart, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. I'm going to ask Mike and Alta to come. They're going to be doing communion with us this morning. We're so thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. What a sweeter, sweet presence could be found than what we've experienced already this morning. And uh, some of what Miss Karen has said, I felt like she could have just come on and done communion because there is nothing more that I can do to make Jesus love me more. But I love what she said about there's nothing I can do to make him love me less because I have struggled with that. Um, I'd like to start off by talking about Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I never thought about that part before, about despising the shame. But as we get into this a little more, I think we'll find out what that means. He who knew no sin voluntarily, and we all know the story, died to take away our sin. Our sin. Talk about a love story. It don't get no better than that. It don't get no better than that. I think me and Mike has a pretty good one, but <laughs> I have participated in communion since a very young age and always felt like Communion was like a funeral, being the tender-hearted person that I am. Most of us heard the story of Jesus for the biggest part of our lives, but do we really, really understand what communion is and what it's all about? Yes, it's about the crucifixion and the death. More than that, though, it's the most amazing love story ever, ever. So with this in mind, let's get down to... What is the true meaning of communion? And um, this was kind of an eye-opener for me. But I'm happy this morning that I feel like, in a way, we've already been experiencing communion. We just hadn't taken the actual cracker yet. So the one thing about communion that we desperately need to understand is that communion is a time of worship. I never thought of it like that. But why is it a time of worship? Oh, it's all about the worship, folks. You see, communion is not just a time when we Christians gather together and go through some dry, stale, ritualistic activity. It's not about standing up or sitting down or playing a certain song. It's none of those things. Um, again, 
it is the communion, the important part of communion is worship. Worship God in all the wonderful things he has done for us in our salvation. He calls us into this worshipful attitude by asking us to remember two things during communion. I remember a song we used to sing, Had It Not Been, Had It Not Been For Jesus, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for Mount Calvary, forever my soul would be lost. And that's where we would be today if it wasn't for what Jesus did for us. The first thing he calls us to remember is that his body was broken for you, every one of you. It was broken for us. He did not have to do this. Because, um, why is that important? When you understand what his body went through, you can't help but worship him. I think part of the problem that we have become numb to what Jesus' body went through on the cross, it was a horrible instrument of suffering and death. It is a graphic picture when we think of how his body was broken. Philippians 2 and 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even unto the cross. As previously stated in Hebrews, he mentions despising the shame. And that's because the way he died, the way he was crucified, was the way that they put to death criminals. And Jesus was no criminal. He was the Christ, the Messiah. There was no reason for him to be crucified except that was the plan that God had. Talk about a love story. As Jesus felt the chill of death seeping through his tissues, and he finally, and finally Jesus could allow his body to die. But not before he said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Whew, let that sink in a minute. That's pretty powerful. I couldn't do that. I, could, I, don't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do what Jesus did that he forgave those people who mocked him, who crucified him, who spit on him, who did all those horrible things. But he forgave them. That was his last words before he passed. The second thing God calls us to remember is to enter into this worshipful attitude during communion is that his blood was spilled for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We'll go over that again in just a minute. <clears throat> His blood was shed on our behalf. Our behalf. So how can we not worship Jesus? How can we not? When the Bible says that God will forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ, he doesn't forgive us of just some of our sins. He don't forgive just the little things, and he don't forgive just the big things. He forgives all of our sins. So much so that right now, not tomorrow, not in the future, but right now, whew, hallelujah, God sees us as if we have never sinned. Think about that, folks. I remember the times in my life where I struggled and struggled. I was scared to die, even though I was saved. But thanks to Dave and DCF, I now know really what that amazing grace is all about. He sees us as almost like brand new babes that we have never sinned. Remember what he has done. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins through the blood of Christ and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one day, folks, one day soon, I believe real soon, sooner than I think most of us think, we're going to hear him say, well done. Well done. I long for that day. I long for that day. What a day that will be. We're going to get um, some music playing, and I'd like to invite everyone to participate in communion. Uh, as you feel, you're welcome to. If this is your first time, you're welcome to. And parents, uh, you decide whether you want your children to participate or not. As the music plays, you can come forward. Just a little instruction. You can go ahead and come up from the center and pick a side and come out to the side and we'll, we'll share communion together. For I have received from the Lord what I have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your grace that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you established this supper in which we eat of his body and drink of his blood. By your Holy Spirit, help us to use this gift worthily to confess and forsake of our sins and confidently believe that we are forgiven through Christ and to grow in faith, love day by day until he comes at last to the joy of the eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Alton and Mike. I love doing communion. It is, um, it is one of my favorite things because it is the remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And um, uh, I also want to just welcome new people who are joining us this morning. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning and be a part of our local body. Um, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. If you will go to our website, dothancf.com, uh, click on the connection card. I'm new here. And if you fill that out, we'll get to have someone from our ministry team call you, connect with you, and hear a little bit about your story, and you can hear about ours. So we're glad you're joining with us this morning. Today, we're really excited. We are going to be launching our community group. So if you are new, you're here at a perfect time. Um, it's where we come together, and we do life um, together, and we do, whether it be a study or how to grow in finances, whatever it may look like. But what we know is that life is a journey and we journey together. I love what um, Jen had posted on our community groups. It may have actually been Diane. So, but um, it says, if you journey together, you're less likely to get lost. How awesome is that? If you journey together, you're less likely to get lost. Um, and so we love this time of year um, as a body. So we're going to be doing those as soon as service is over. You can head out to my right, and they'll be in the cafe, and you kind of see what all is going to be going on uh, for this spring semester. Next week, we're going to have Greg and Michelle Haswell with us. Um, we love Greg and Michelle deeply in this house. Um, a lot of our friends from Northlands that minister here, uh, we are in their hearts as well. So um, next week, we'll be having them. Um, they operate very much in an apostolic prophetic calling, and so we are thankful that they come and they build into the local church, and so um, just you don't want to miss that next week with them. And then also um, next week, we are going to be having like the um, uh, worship, uh, like the Be Still Gathering for those of us who are ladies that's going on. It's a local community-wide gathering of ladies. It'll be at the depot on March the 7th at 6th. And for those of you who've been kind of like looking and reading or walked out to the restrooms, our gallery of world changers is out on the right-hand side. Last month, we really spoke into the identity of our children and how the Father sees them and who they are, that they are chosen, they are loved, they are adopted, they are powerful, they have authority, that they have been given an inheritance. And so um, we would love for you to come alongside us um, in participation. We have pictures of our children that are framed 
out in the hallway over here, and we would just love for you to join us in speaking into their identity of who God says they are. And you can also do that on your way to the community groups after service, but they're going to be there in the hallway as well. And lastly, we just thank you so much for generous giving. That is online, and um, you can just go to dothancf.com, and um, we would, uh, we're thankful for the generosity in this house. We are going to be dismissing our kids. They are going to be going with me and Miss Sarah this morning through the back doors. And um, Pastor Dave is going to be coming and sharing his message with you guys. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wave at me if you're awake. Anybody awake? <laughs> um, I was preaching one time, and this is in England, actually. I was preaching one time, and there was an older gentleman in the church who had not slept much the night before, and he started sleeping, which is, you know, that's going to happen, and it's also helpful for me as a preacher. If people start sleeping during my sermon, maybe I'd better do a better job, right? <laughs> but the problem with him is he started snoring, like, really, really loudly. So, <laughs> so thankfully somebody woke him up and he apologized later and I'm like, no, hey man, that's, that's fine. <laughs> it kept me honest. Um, we started a series last, uh, last couple of weeks, we started a series called Spiritual Maturity. And uh, this is something that's it's really dear in my heart because uh, I learned, when I came into ministry, I learned that, that there's something special about five-fold ministry gifts, but then I'm going to get into that in just a second, but what it's not is a, a, a condition of value. Um, so often I... There was a subtle thing going through Bible college and in ministry that, you know, they have, we have terms for it, cler- clergy and laity, and so we go through some of these things, um, you know, in some pl- places they call it a priest, uh, and, and you dress differently, you know, so you dress, if you're the pastor of a, of a, um, a, a church like ours, then typically you would wear a suit, and you always dress, you know, a little bit nicer than everybody else in the congregation, because kind of you're the ceiling, so, <laughs> so whatever you dress to, they'll dress, and usually there's not anybody who will dress nicer than you, and, and I remember, like, asking the question about that, because I didn't grow up in church, I'm like, why do we do that, and the context was, well, it's because we're, we're presenting our best to the Lord, and I'm like, I totally understand that and agree that, with that, so if you want to dress to the nines and come to DCF, I'm happy if you do that. However, you're probably going to look like, um, uh, you know, somebody's parole officer sitting next to most of us because we're, we're very casual at DCF. Um, but it's a, it's a choice we made because being casual, really what we're trying to do is create an authenticity about how our relationship is with Jesus. And so, again, nothing wrong with dressing up, um, but that, that became this picture, in, in my heart anyway, of like this uh, difference between, you know, the five-fold ministry gifts, pastors and teachers and all those guys, and, and, the, and the denomination, or sorry, the, uh, the regular laity, the people who are just attending in the pews. 
And, and then I, I read the Bible. It's, uh, it's pretty enlightening. You should try this. It's amazing, this book. And I, one of the things that I discovered was there were some people in the Bible who, who had these gifts and who walked in these roles, and it's a very specific role, and God calls us to those things, and that's fine. But there were other people, especially in the book of Acts, who walked in tremendous power, anointing, signs and wonders, all kinds of amazing things that were indicators of their walk with the Lord being pretty powerful. And they did not have a role, they did not have a position, and they did not have a title. So all that to say that, that God, God has no problem giving us different roles, but it's not a value proposition. And it's helpful for us to understand that because then there's, it, creates, it helps create a proper expectation. So Hebrews 13, 7, we read this last time. Um, this is a picture of what we call the five-fold ministry gifts. And so, again, those are found in Ephesians 4. I won't read that. We did that last week. But uh, Hebrews 13, 17 addresses it. It says, have confidence, in, and this is the NIV. Other versions say obey. Not just have confidence, but obey. So that's a pretty big statement. Obey, your, uh, have confidence or obey your leaders and submit to their authority. So that's a, that's a challenge that the, congr- that the congregation, the people of God are given towards the fivefold ministry gifts who are a role in the church. And it says this, is because they keep watch over you. Right? So there's, a, there's something that they're supposed to do. Um, leaders, fivefold ministry gifts, this is something that they're supposed to do. There's another place in, in Ephesians talks about equipping the saints for the work of, of ministry. It says, um, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So this is really, really, really important. Um, the condition by which this role creates a place of authority in the same way that a husband has authority in his home, in his kids, same way that a, 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 someone who has authority in a business or, or in our government, wherever that place of authority is given, the Bible creates an expectation of accountability. And so often in the past, there's been challenges with that. People ask me, and they've asked me in, in times past, how do I find a good church? And that's a great question because there are some churches, and I have led some of these churches in the past, where 1 Corinthians talks about they were getting things so wrong to the point that their meetings were doing more harm than good. <laughs> right? And then uh, Revelation talks about these seven, um, these seven churches that the Bible speaks to, and one of the things it goes after, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, for example, write this. And so we read that and think because it uses the word angel, it's talking about the angel in heaven with wings um, like Michael or Gabriel. But the Bible, doesn't, the Bible actually uses that same word angel. It means messenger in the original language. It uses the same word for John the Baptist. He was a human being who was a messenger. And that's the picture that you really find in the book of Revelation. Go back and read it. It's phenomenal. And one way you can know uh, for sure that that's not an angel in heaven is because Jesus holds this person accountable. The angels had already been held accountable. We could get into that at a later date, but the, you know, there were angels that had fallen. All that happened before mankind ex- even existed, and um, there are fallen angels. The enemy, we know, we know all this stuff. The Bible speaks to that. But in this, in this particular context, the Bible says to the angel of the church, write this, and this is what he says. I love these things about you. Each church, he says a little, something a little bit different. I love this about you and your leadership in this church. However, I have this against you. See, there's that accountability where, where Jesus is saying, look, I've, I've given you authority in, in church. I've given you authority as a husband. I've given you authority as a business leader. I've given you a, authority as a statesman in the government, wherever you might hold authority, in the military, wherever it is. And God says, because I've given you authority, I've also given you responsibility. 
And if you flip that over, when God says, I'm going to give you responsibility, and because I've given you responsibility, I'm also going to give you authority. They should never come um, unless they, they show up together, right? And so one of the problems you see is you see someone who has responsibility but no authority, and that to a leader is the most frustrating thing in the world. But it creates the potential for something to go wrong. So, so we're not in heaven yet. We're not at a place where we, we're perfect in any form or fashion. But the Lord calls us to maturity, and especially as leaders, fivefold ministry gifts. The Bible says in Titus and Timothy, if you ever get to the place where you are a mature believer, because that's what Titus and Timothy talks about. It says um, that a, an elder or a deacon must be these things. And it starts talking about the husband uh, of one wife. It starts talking about um, uh, how, we're, how, we're re, how we're seen outside, that your reputation isn't just in the church, but how the world sees you. Are you do you have integrity even in the world? Not just in the church, but in the world. So there's this whole list of things. People have used that to say, this is what you need to be to be an elder. And that is, un, I mean, unequivocally false. It is not the, the recommendations or the necessities of an elder. It's just a picture of what a mature believer is. Right, so go read it in Timothy and Titus. But then what it says is, if you're going to be an elder, if you're going to walk in one of these five, if you're going to, if you're going to be given authority and therefore commensurate responsibility to go with that, the expectation is you must be mature. No option. And I've been in churches where we were, I was an associate pastor at a church one time, and they said, hey, we're going to bring this guy named Dan on as a deacon. And I knew Dan <laughs> really well. And I was like, wait, what? what, what why are we bringing him on? Well, he's incredibly gifted and we need him. I'm like, 100% agree with both of those things. Could we talk about that other thing that is staring us in the face? And we did, and we brought him on anyway. And it was a train wreck. Go figure. <laughs> it's almost like God knew that. So here's the point. If you're going to walk in maturity, the issue isn't you're going to walk in maturity so you can be an elder it, it, or, or any of those things. The maturity, there's something about maturity, and we're going to talk about this, about something that it releases inside of you or in, not just into you, but how it releases something out of you. And the answer to that is it, there's an inheritance that God has given to those who are mature. There's an inheritance you get as a baby Christian. Um, you, when you're born again, you are born again. That's, that, you are a son. Maybe you're, maybe you're not mature. Maybe you're not a great son. Maybe you could do better as a son, but you're never not a son. And I know that's a grammar problem, but I, I want to emphasize it. You are never not a son. And that goes for women, too. It's just a picture of Scripture saying that you have an inheritance as a son. But there's an expectation of maturity that God brings and says, at some point, by now you ought to be teachers. By now you ought to be, and, and Paul speaks to that, and part of what he's saying is that if you don't step into a place of maturity, all the inheritance that God wants to bring into your life, he also cannot bring it through your life. So your sphere of influence, and Karen and I recognized when we got saved and began to grow in the Lord, that we became pastors not just to the church and churches we were around, because we stepped into some of those roles of leadership, but we, can't, we became shepherds to our family, shepherds to the place where we worked. Every sphere of influence, God was working not just in us, but through our maturity, he was working through us. Doesn't mean we're perfect. So those who must give an account, the big question is, if, 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 we're have, if we have to give an account, what do fivefold ministry gifts, what do pastors have to give an account for? And we, we went over this last week in a little bit of detail, so I won't do that this week, but just let me list them again. Um, what we teach and preach, we have to give an account for that. How and where we lead, we have to give an account for that. Um, the example that we model, we have to give an account for that. The expectations we have and create. So this morning, we have created an expectation that you should worship. 
Now, some of, you, some of you did and some of you didn't, and I'm not talking about like some of you had an outward expression and some of you didn't. That, that's between you and the Lord. We recognize that. I'm not beating you up about it. I'm just saying that we create an expectation of worship, but we cannot worship for you. We cannot do that. We create an expectation of, of community groups. We're, we have sign-ups out here, and we go to, to great efforts to push back against the culture that tries to isolate us all the time. And over the last two or three years, there was an all-out assault on humanity as a whole to isolate, which again is a picture of what the enemy is trying to do. And what he comes where he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes, and he brings life and life abundantly. Well, what is that? That's relationship. And relationship is hard. We're going to get into this in just a second. But it's a challenge from us as leaders to say, we have created an expectation that you would join a community group. Now, is there anything magical about community groups? No. It's just, it's just a way to do something that pushes back against the culture because naturally not everybody will connect with people. So if, I, if we just said, hey, you guys work it out yourselves, some of you will. Some of you have a natural inclination toward building a relationship. You're an outgoing, expressive, all those things. Some of you will not. And the challenge is whether you're outgoing or, or ingoing, <laughs> you still have a, a, an expectation. There's an expectation we're creating because this is what God challenges you to do, not because he's up in heaven going, I have rules that you must, you know, you must meet. But there are reasons why he created us the way he created us. And an expectation of walking in maturity really brings about God's best in our lives. So the last one was how we pray for you. So we, uh, we, I talked about this last week. Um, how we pray for you is important because one of the things you, you see mature leaders do is when they pray for you, there's an expectation that we're not just saying, God, bless this person, God, do this. We wait and see if God wants to use a gift or a ministry that's inside of us to minister more accurately to a person. And we do that all the time. We wait. If you'll notice, that's one of the things we do when we pray. The other thing is what Jesus taught the disciples. They said, he said, pray like this with an expectation that what, what rules in heaven will rule in earth. We, Lord, we, we're asking that whatever's happening in heaven up there needs to come to earth. That's what Jesus said. The reason we're here is to bring heaven to earth, not to just get through life and you know, hopefully don't get persecuted too much until one day we get to go be in glory and finally we get to push this life away and go, that was hard and this is easy, right? The answer is no. God has an expectation of, of, of wanting to walk in victory to bring about what Jesus paid such a heavy price for into your life and then therefore because it's in yours into people's lives around you. So what should we be leading you to do? So what are the expectations that we're putting on you because of what Scripture speaks to and what he calls us to in maturity? The first one is simple. It's worship. We did that this morning. Sometimes you do worship in music, and that's wonderful. You can soak. You can, you can praise God. There are a lot of things that we can talk about in worship. But really what it is, it's a life that's centered on Jesus. It's saying something is worthy of me saying it's worthy. That's what worship is, right? And so we, we talked about, uh, Alta and Mike talked about worshiping in communion, right? It seems different than just lifting your hands during songs. Can you worship during your workplace? Can you worship while you're driving? The answer is yes. Unselfish fellowship. That's one of the things we're talking about today as we go out into community groups we're challenging you to be involved in relationship with people of like faith and also creating a missional emphasis that you want to bring people who don't know Jesus into a walk with Jesus. Why? So we can put another notch on our gospel pistol? No, because that is a lost person who does not know God's goodness and his grace in their lives. And our, our job, our mission is not ours. It's a mission that we, were, we joined into when we became part of the family of God. 
What did Jesus come to do? He said, I came to bring life. We, we talked about that. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost, to, to seek them out, to go out actively and reach people who don't know the Lord. And unselfish fellowship is not just fellowship. Because given our preferences, we will fellowship with people who are like us and are easy. Should I preach any more into that? <laughs> so unselfish fellowship is, that guy drives me a little crazy. He talks too much. He talks too little. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's all about it. He's selfish. You know, he's, he's, still, he's still a baby in Christ, and he's just, ah, he just drives me crazy. You ever notice that you, you, it's easy to love your kids? Well, not all the time, but for the most part, it's easy to love your own kids, but other people's kids, right? <laughs> and what's funny is that's how those other people think about your kids, by the way. But, but that's the challenge is when, when God calls us to be a family, I, I don't get to pick and choose. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to let people who are, who are broken and, um, and who have no boundaries direct my relationship with them. I'm, I'm going to do that as a mature believer. But I'm saying you don't get to pick and choose whoever you want to, because God is calling you to take what's inside of you and build up the body around you. So unselfish fellowship is what we expect you to do. Um, discipleship, to cultivate spiritual maturity. We're talking about that today. So let me just say this, because this is probably one of the most important things I'll say this morning. When, when we had our time of worship, and there were some prophetic words that we had we'd prayed before, we gathered together on purpose to intercede for our service and say, God, what is it that you're doing specifically this morning with who's going to be in our congregation this morning? And so one of those things that came out was a picture of, of an IV bag connected to heaven. And on it, each one of those IV bags, the fluid that was flowing out of heaven into the bag and then into whoever, was, it was different for everybody who was here. For some people, it, it, it was hope because you're, 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 you're fearing the unknown future. For some people, it was healing because you're struggling with something that's going on in your body. And the list goes on and on and on. Let me say this. To some degree, you have to offer your arm and say, I want to be hooked into that. I, I, we have a ton of medical people in our church, way more than most churches percentage-wise, which I think is really interesting that the Lord has done that because it's not accidental. And one of the things that, that you'll, you'll find out about these guys is they have, they're laying their life down, especially over COVID. I mean, just go listen to some of the stories. Ask some nurses what it was like. It was, it was unbelievably hard. And, and they stuck it out, and they went after it when when culture was against them, when their own uh, uh, organizations were against them in a million ways, and they did it because there was a heart to help and serve and bless people. It's part of why they do what they do, right? Even if they complain, everybody complain. I complain. I'm in ministry, and I'm helping people all the time. I still do it. I catch myself just like they do and go, that's probably not the best way to do this, but we still do it because we're human. And out of all that, no matter what they did, as much as they want to help, if you come in and they say, we need to put an IV in your arm, and something in your little, your little you know, lizard brain says, I don't like pain. And that little stick with the needle, even if you're a grown man, you need to put your big boy pants on and just get stuck, okay? <laughs> right? And so I'm see, I can see that as a Twitter line. That's going to be interesting. So you, you have to say, I, I recognize the need for this. I do not have the ability to do this for myself. Here, here you go. Do it. Right? And some, listen, they're not always, always good at it. Some of you nurses, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, you poke me three or four times. Go get a better nurse. I'm sorry, right? Go, go, right? I know, it's challenging. Right? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to say it out loud. It just came out. But here's, here's my point. Regardless whether the person is good at it or not, most of the time they are, let's be honest. Some of that's just our own stuff. But we have to push past the fear of that little tiny moment of pain 
that is potentially going to save our lives. And the same thing is true with creating expectations from, from ministry, from the fivefold ministry gift, because I didn't come up with this, God did, right? And so you know this as a parent, that you're like, I have to parent a child, it turns out they're really immature, I love it when little kids start telling their parents what to do. And, I, you know, I, we used to talk about this all the time in youth ministry. I'm like, you know what you guys should do? You're 14. Obviously, you know everything. You should get an apartment and start your career right now. And they look at you like you're crazy, right? And they don't even, they're so immature, they don't, they don't even see the irony in it, which makes it 10 times funnier for me. But do you, you understand the point? So the challenge is there's an expectation created. It is, always, is it always perfect? No. But this picture of there's an expectation of you joining a, a community group. I don't have time. You don't have time not to. I, 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 or there's an expectation of you to serve and to bring your strength to the body, and then therefore as the body builds itself up in love, it releases the grace of God into the world around us. Um, you should serve. I don't have time to serve. You don't have time not to serve. So you have to make a decision about what are the things that are important and you can ignore what the doctor and the nurse is trying to bring to you all you want. You can refuse. You can say, I love the idea of the IV bag, but I'm not, I'm not letting you poke that hole in me, right? Because it's going to hurt a little bit. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. There is nothing that we can do to make you do what you ought to be doing. But something inside of you recognizes this is healthy and this is good, and I should make every effort to move into this. Now, so that's important, right? Discipleship, cultivating spiritual maturity. Ministry, to give something back. That's what we're talking about with serving in, in, in community groups. Mission, to tell other people about God's love for them. We are all on mission, whether we want to be or not. We have to be on mission. We have to choose to do that. So how should we, how should we go about getting you to these places of expectation? And this is important. You can try to elevate yourself as a leader. I'm clergy, you're lady, I'm up here, you're down here. You should just do what I say because I have a really nice robe on. I know lots of people who wore robes. I used to wear a collar. I was in a church where I wore a collar, and we had a, a, we had a, a, church, uh, sorry, a, a Catholic hospital in our city, and I loved wearing the collar because I could put that collar on and go visit somebody in the hospital, go anywhere. I, I could have walked in surgery, in the middle of surgery, and they would have let me. You can always tell the people who are in the church who are Catholic because when I would walk about, now, now Grant, I'm 26 years old when I'm doing this. So I'm real, you think I look young now? I'll, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm walking down the hall. You always tell the Catholics because they would lower their eyes because of all the guilt and shame, right? And they would go, hello, Father, and walk by me. Wouldn't even look, wouldn't even look at me. And I would stop them sometimes, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm a brother, not a father. Because I'm, I'm not Catholic after all. But I, we wore the collar. My point is, there are lots of people who wear those things, and they're very holy, and they're very powerful, and they're incredibly amazing. But a robe and a collar doesn't make you who you ought to be on the inside. A suit and tie at a church, casually dressed, you know, with tats up my arms, in a, in a you know, a, a modern-day, that does not make you a minister. What makes you that is God says, I'm calling to you, you to something, and I'm challenging you to be something. You can't pretend to be it. You cannot elevate yourself as a minister. You have to actually be mature or not. And one of the big challenges in church is we find out that some of our leaders aren't mature after we've invested a year or two or five years of our life in a local congregation. And that's a terrible way to, to find out that that's true. 
So how should we do it? Should we elevate ourselves? Clergy, laity, extreme. I'm closer to God. I went to Bible college. You're just a sinner. (laughs) You get the picture. Um, But the Bible speaks to this a million times over. You cannot lord it over them. I have given you authority. It is yours. It is done. God says, I am the ultimate authority. I've given you authority. Same thing is true as a husband. I've given you authority. Same thing in a business situation. I have given you authority. No matter how you obtained it in the world, I am the one who's, who's given this to you. And at the same time, you cannot use it to lord it over people. God will hold us account. Remember that? I I talked about that passage in Revelation. Jesus came to some of those leaders and he says, I have this against you. And if you don't fix this, hear this, if you don't fix this, I will remove the lampstand. And that was an Old Testament picture in the temple of saying, I'm going to remove my presence from you. So this is one of the hardest things you're you're ever going to hear. There are churches, there are churches that Jesus is not allowed to come to. But you read their advertisements, you watch their videos, they're amazing, incredibly motivational, gifts still work, God's gift still works in the midst, and I know sometimes that can be challenging, but God will use whatever we give him. He will. But ultimately, he said, there are some consequences for you mishandling authority. I'm going to bring that to bear. So, what else, what else can we do? Bully, bribe, threaten, nag, <laughs> right? And we do that. Sometimes ministers do it. We do it as parents. We do it as husbands, whatever. But the picture of this is that you can never do that because flesh only gives birth to flesh. So even if we do it and get you to do it, you're not really doing it from a heart that's driven by a love from God. You're doing it because the pastor drove you crazy until you finally said yes. Which is one reason why when we do, when we do serving, when we say, hey, come and serve in grace teams, we need help in our kids' church. You might say, you know what, I don't think I'm gifted for, for kids' church at all. You can serve in the kids' church and never even talk to a child. Because we need leadership gifts, we need administrative gifts, we need all kinds of gifts in every arena. Youth ministry, the same thing. You can, you, you can serve in, in youth ministry and, and never talk to a young person. Well, it will be weird, but you can do it. <laughs> because the gift, there are a bunch of gifts that don't inv- involve a passion for kids or a passion for young people. So those are different things. And we try to line all those things up so that you can find your grace space, we call it. Find a place that energizes you and releases you and encourages you and, and drives you forward in your growth in the Lord. But we're not going to flatter you. We're not going to nag you. We're not going to do that because flesh only gives birth to flesh. And Paul said we never use flattery. So here's what we do. We pray, we set an example, we preach, we teach, we lead in a direction, and here's what we do a lot. We create expectations in line with Scripture. So I'm going to just use that phrase for a second. If you're looking for a good church, I know we've got some new people here today who are kicking the tires, and I love that you guys are doing that. You're trying to find, hey, I want to plug into a good local church. How do I do that? Find a church that creates expectations in line with Scripture. If the expectations being created are not in line with Scripture, get the fire out of there as fast as you possibly can, even if that's here, (laughs) okay? So here's a couple of Scriptures. Paul, Paul writes to Timothy, a young minister, and he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Everybody loves to get encouraged by their pastor. Nobody likes to get rebuked. I don't understand why. They're both so scriptural. (laughs) or correct, and that rebuke is a very specific word that almost always comes with encouragement. 
And that's what you have to learn to get good at as a leader is if you're going to rebuke someone, they're going to walk away going, I think he rebuked me. I'm not 100% positive, but I'm pretty sure after I had coffee with Dave and he rebuked me. But if you do it well, what comes out of that is you've been encouraged so much. You were rebuked, yes, but you were given, you said, here's the challenge that you're dealing with. Here's what the Lord says about you, about your identity and who you are. And we go after those things. Why? Because the issue isn't just to tell you you're wrong. The issue is to release God's inheritance in you because if you're doing it wrong, you're not walking in his inheritance. That makes sense. So it's, it's very much like spiritual parenting. Here's another one. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. Do you know that? He's saying that because there were some leaders at the time using deception to lead churches. He goes on, he says, nor do we distort the word of God. Do you know why he said that? Because some people were distorting the word of God. So those are possible, which you need to pay attention to as a believer. He says, on the contrary, this is what we do by setting forth the truth plainly. Not meanly, right? Because sometimes that's, I'm just telling you the truth in love. No, you're telling me the truth because you're mad and you're being mean to me. I don't feel any love in, in, in this. That's what I was saying. Rebuking and correction should come with encouragement. Why? Because this is God's design is to grow you up and release you to your inheritance, not beat you up. He's not a cosmic child abuser. Amen? So, again, we talked about how, how the fivefold ministry does this, creating expectations and why this is so important. So here's what we're going after today. God does everything through relationship. So why is it that we're asking you to connect into a community group, to be in relationship with other people, to come out of your isolation? I'm, I'm an introvert. Well, you can be an introvert and have relationships with people. It's just a little bit more difficult for an introvert than an extrovert. The problem with extroverts is they can take up all the air in the room, right? And so we need both, but it, it's a challenge to one and it's easier for other, but it doesn't mean that we don't walk in it anyway. So healthy relationships, this is what God designed. They drive maturity. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4. This is a powerful scripture. It says, two are better than one. If you're ever wondering, this is God's picture of, of relationship. Because they have good return for their labor, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. The idea is you probably are not going to fall down at the same time. It doesn't mean we don't fall, fall down when we're together. Sometimes we do, but the point of falling down in, in the picture that Jesus gives us is that there's somebody there to lift you up. Let me just say this, because this is challenging, I know, but, it, but it's helpful. So often, Karen and I, someone wants to talk to us, and they'll say to us, hey, we need help right here. And I look at them, and, it's, and, and we help. We do everything we can. We encourage, and God often comes and saves the day, and it's wonderful. But I look at where they are right now, and they're there now because three, four years earlier, we challenged them in this arena, and they said no. We created an expectation that said, we see something obvious that if you don't deal with this, over here, you're, it's going to suck for you really, and for your family and everybody around you. So here, before it hurts, before that pain comes, will you make some changes and allow the transformation of God to come in your life and grow you up so that when you get here, this is not going to be a negative thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And so often that doesn't happen. So it says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And that's what happens all the time. And it's a plan from the enemy. Also, if, the two, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. We wouldn't quote this part of the scripture when we we're talking to young people. <laughs> like, do not lie down together if you're not married, okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about brothers who are freezing and they're in battle and they're good. So it says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? See the picture? 
that sometimes the elements, sometimes the circumstances are so cold that your individual warmth alone is not enough to keep you warm. And you will be miserable, miserable in that scenario. But something about others who come alongside and bring that warmth to you, it rescues everybody involved. Lastly, it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Some of the most beautiful transformation I've ever seen is when someone begins to commit their life to Christ and begin to make some changes in their life and someone misperceives it and begin to take advantage and begin to go after them and discourage and break them down. And a brother comes along and says, hey, listen, man, I know what you're going through and you're struggling with your family or your job. You are right. And I just want to encourage you, stick with it. This is good. I know there's persecution, but on the other side of this, it's going to be beauty from ashes. That is a beautiful thing. And the Bible says we can defend one another. It's a beautiful thing. It causes you to be sharpened. I read this last week, Proverbs, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I always think it's interesting when people are married and they're like, you know, we're having struggles in our marriage. I'm like, what? That's so surprising. (laughs) Right? Or you're in a small group and I'm like, I'm having a challenge getting along with this guy. What? That is so surprising. God never meant for you to have, you know, challenges, right? (laughs) So unhealthy relationships, though, can destroy maturity. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We used to tell teenagers this all the time. Be careful who you hang around with because who you perceive is who you become, right? You look at it long enough, you're going to become like it whether you want, want to or not. So don't be deceived. That means you can be deceived. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Hear that? Open rebuke. It's a way of, God says love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but listen, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, obviously, we know that is a prophetic word about Judas and Jesus in in the garden, but it was true before Jesus and Judas in the garden. Deceitful are the kisses of the enemy, (laughs) right? When you have a real friendship, if your real friend has never challenged you, you do not have a friend, you don't. Your Facebook friends, you know, there was a statistic done recently, um, 300 Instagram followers, teenagers, one friend, one real friend. 25% of those teenagers said, I don't have any friends. And they may have 1,000 friends online. Those aren't friends. Let me just say this, the same concept. The people you watch online who are preachers, there are some amazing preachers out there. I listen to them myself. They're incredibly gifted. They're amazing in every way. You don't know them. And that's the problem. You know their gift. That's awesome. Listen, you guys know my gift. You've experienced my gift. But you've also experienced Dave, (laughs) right? In all of his glory and sometimes the challenges, right? But consistently, we have lived this out. And when we've done wrong, we've apologized. When we we get it wrong, we make it right. That's a character issue that you can't see online, which is another reason why if you have friends online but you don't have friends in person, that's the reason why. Right? And some of that might be because you're, re- you're refusing to receive challenge, and that's something that you can grow in. So let me use this as an illustration. Um, there's a picture in the Old Testament of marriage, and it's a word. I can't remember exactly the word now, but it's an interesting word picture because it's a picture of, uh, of a ship and a rudder being at the bottom of the ship and the sail being at the top of the ship. And the picture of, of marriage, this relationship that God ordained, was a rudder and a sail, Right? And so the, the issue is this. If you have a rudder with no sail, you, you can control where you're going. You're just never going anywhere. 
right? If you have a sail without a rudder, you're going places, <laughs> but you're not directing where you're going. You're getting blown all over the place. And God said, I'm going to put two people together in a marriage relationship. This is true also in a, in a uh, ministry relationship, in small groups, in any friendships, whatever that looks like. This is the same idea, that it will be opposite and against. And what that means is the tension between the rudder and the sail is what actually moves you to the destination that you've chosen. So, so it's really important to pick a destination with your spouse. What does is, what is the end of marriage look like? What is it we're trying to accomplish? We're going to have a nice house. That's wonderful. I love that. What else? We're going to raise some kids. That's great. What kind of kids? How many? Right. These are questions that you ask. Why? Because you are about to be put in tension. And when you join a small group, a community group, I promise you, you're going to be put in tension. But it's designed that way. The whole idea is God's going to put you in tension. Why? Because the tension between those two spaces, and a tension means it's never just one thing. That's why relationships are so dynamic. Sometimes it's more sail, sometimes it's more rudder. But whatever it is, if you pay attention to the tension, then what happens is the destination that you've chosen, that is the most effective and efficient way to get to your destination. So vision and direction and values, all those things are the destination. Make sure those are aligned. Because if you're in a relationship where you don't have the same destination, the tension is just going to break the boat. It's going to break the relationship and it's going to break you. So I got just a few other things. They're simple. Together is God's plan. Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. He said, you should do this. Take time to go, how can I motivate this person and me to acts of love and good works? And then he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. We use this, pastors have used this to beat up the congregation and go, you should be in church every, every time the doors are open. Well, let's be honest, at some point the doors were open too, too much. Right, it's a service every night of the week, and people say, that's spiritual. No, that's foolishness. The Bible says, seek the kingdom first, not only. Understand that. But if you don't seek the, the kingdom first, what will happen is all the other things in your life will take precedence, and they will take over, and you won't be seeking the kingdom at all. And then you'll be wondering why it's a mess. And, you're, and the answer is because God designed it to be seek the kingdom first, and I'll add everything else you need. You still got to, God says, I'll bless the work of your hands, so you still got to work, right? I'm going to seek the kingdom, and God's just going to rain money down on me. <laughs> it's not how it works. It's, it's a, it, we have to uh, co-labor with him. So together is God's plan. So I want to put a picture up here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up with this. My pastor in Bible college came up to me one time. This, I didn't know him real well, but I learned a lot about him after this conversation. He said, Dave, have you ever seen geese fly in a, in a V? I'm like, yeah. He said, um, you ever notice that one side of that V is almost always there's more geese in it? Uh, he said, there's, that was longer than the other. And I said, yeah. He said, would you like to know what that is? And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be spiritually impactful. This is going to change my life forever. And he looks at me, he said, the reason why this one side is longer than the other is because there's more geese in that side than the other. And I just blink because I'm struggling to find the spiritual connection. There wasn't one. <laughs> right? Right? So I was like, okay. <laughs> but what I learned was this. There was a spiritual connection. He just used it as a joke. But later on, I found this out. that the, There is a reason why they fly in a V. Couple of reasons. One is they 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 do this same thing, and fighter pilots do this. They fly in a V formation a lot of times. But what will happen is the the front 
goose, right, takes all of the turbulence in the air and all the pressure, and it reduces it a little bit for each goose that is in the line. So they have it easier. This is a picture of leadership. I could preach this whole message about that front goose, right? And we started with that. But at some point, what happens is those geese change places, right? And so the lead goose gets tired and eventually moves back. And his, because they're flying together in a certain way, it creates this place where it's easier on the people who are coming behind. And so that, that's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in us when we go together. Sometimes you're in the lead. Sometimes, sometimes you're praying for people because your life is amazing and God is moving in ways that you just can't wait to share your testimonies. Other times you're under attack and you're like, I don't, is God even there, right? <laughs> Front goose, middle goose, right? But what happens is that changes on a regular basis. And if at some point you don't get tired, you begin to change positions, not because you have to, but because you know the wisdom of flying in that formation, right? And so now you're not moving away from the front zone because you're doubting God. You're moving away because God says, you don't have to do it all. That's why I'm bringing everybody together. Some people are better at things than you are, and you need to release them and let them do it. So let me say this as I wrap this up. One of the biggest challenges for me as a pastor and we came here 13 years ago. This church was already here. This church has a 45-year history already. We came along and joined it in process, and it was beautiful. When we saw it, we said, what, whatever this is, we want to give our lives away with these people. They're amazing. The love, that was, it was already so deep, it's, it's hard to imagine. But God brought us along, and we connected, and we began to move forward in a direction. 13 years now, my wife and I have been laying our lives down, and building and doing every sacrificing. And yes, we got all the joy that comes with it. God's kind in that way. But we have poured our lives out to build vision and values and direction and to create biblical expectations for our congregation, who God has called us to. Because he's given, the Bible says that he has made us overseers over the flock. That means that our job is to look over the big picture and go, where are we missing? I don't want Jesus to come to me and go, Dave, I love these things about you, but I have a problem with this. I don't want that to be the end of my life. I want to adjust that constantly in my relationship with Jesus as a leader. And I want to say, Lord, is, I thank you for the things you're saying I'm doing well. And I love it when people come and encourage me and go, Dave, that was a great message, man, that really changed my heart. I love that. But I want to come sometimes too and hear, be careful doing this to me. Don't, don't challenge me on a Sunday. Just wait till Tuesday, okay? I don't handle it well on Sunday. I put it all out there, okay? My wife learned this. She does, she's like, I'm like, I used to say, how was, that, how was the message, honey? And she would just stare at me. I'm like, ah, right? And now I don't even ask. And if she has a challenge she wants to bring, she brings it on Tuesday or Wednesday, never on a Monday, right? So all that to say that I want to hear challenges. We want to grow. Some of you guys can do things better. You are frustrated in our congregation because you see a better way because you're gifted better and gifted differently. And that's wonderful. We want that. But the challenging thing for us as leaders is, we have this baby, and, and we're doing everything we can to protect it and put you know, guidelines around it and fences so it's safe from the, all the... And we want to keep the vision and the values going in the direction God calls us to it because it's our job, right? It's our calling. And as we release this to more people, the danger is that if people don't have the same vision and values, everything we've invested in begins to fall apart. You feel this with your kids, especially you guys who have grown kids. You're like, did I do it right? Sometimes I wonder. It's risky. It's risky to do this. And I just want to commit to you guys that we recognize the risk 
and we're doing it anyway. We have the largest leadership team right now at DCF than we have ever had the whole time I've been here. They're incredibly gifted. Our, our elders, our deacons are incredibly gifted. What we're wanting to do is release even more leaders in our midst. Why? Because God has given us a passion to have an impact on this entire city and this region and nations that we, we haven't even touched yet. And to bring the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom and the power together to see this world be transformed according to what Jesus laid his life down for. That's our passion. Part of that passion is, for some of us, you've been isolating yourselves. Whether you recognize it or not, you've been withdrawn, maybe because you got hurt by a church leader. Welcome to church. If you haven't been hurt by a church leader, you weren't paying attention. Because that it's going, people we're going to rub each other the wrong way. Even when we're doing it right, it's going to be challenging. So there has to be a place of forgiveness. Again, healthy boundaries. I, I, I talked about that before. So there's an expectation of maturity in your leaders. You should have that, and they should walk in it. And if they're not, you need to get the fire out of there. Because whatever they are, that's what you're going to become. They're the they're the ceiling that God brings you up underneath. If they're not growing you also are not going to grow. And so we want to grow, not just in maturity, of course that, but we want to be released. We want to see every sphere of influence in our city be impacted by the grace and the power of God's Spirit. We want to see that. It's going to change people's lives for all of eternity. And it's supposed to do that not because I'm a good preacher, but because you guys are spiritually mature that you are sons and daughters who have an inheritance to receive. Because you have given an abundance of an inheritance, you have an inheritance to share with those who have nothing. So I want to challenge you today. Join a community group. I don't have time. Well, we'll do it again in about six months. (laughs) So if you legitimately are in a season where you can't do a community group, I would challenge that, right? But it happens. I get it. But how long are you going to stay in the season? How long are you going to justify the, the fact that you are broken and hurting and are isolated and you're afraid of that little jab of becoming vulnerable because you need something you cannot produce in your own strength? Welcome to church. <laughs> but if we do it well, there's a beauty that comes. And there's a rescue and there's such a beautiful picture of Jesus pouring his life out on our behalf and then we get to walk into the blessings and the abundance and the joy of what it means to live as a family on mission together. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. Um, if you're a leader for a community group, you can go ahead and make your way out there, and I'm going to pray for us. And if you also, if you have kids in, in kids' church, if you will grab those guys before, not everybody, just your kids. <laughs> but grab your kids as quickly as we dismiss so that our leaders can go back and be, uh, some of those guys are leading community groups. We need them back there. So let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, you have put such a beautiful, beautiful discernment on your body. Lord, that so often leaders get arrogant and think that they're, only, they're the only ones who can hear your voice, the only ones who can see what you're doing, Lord, and that's so not true. God, I pray, Lord, especially for me, Lord, as, as, a, as a pastor, Lord, would you give me insight and understanding about how to release people more and more into the calling that they have on their own lives, Lord. Lord, that I would, I would push away any control, Lord, that I would, I, would, I would push away any fear of risk, Lord, of, uh, of, of not doing this well, Lord, because you're the one, if we do this in concert with you, Lord, you're the one who guides our hands anyway. And Lord, would you help us to release people to the fullness of their inheritance, to walk guilt-free, shame-free, Lord, to know that their sins have been 100% forgiven because of what you did on the cross. And in that place of love, Lord, to grow up and become the body that you meant for us to come, Lord. You said when we do that, Lord, 
that we work together and we build one another up in love. That is my passion. That's my heart. Lord, and as we do that as the church, you're going to create impact all around us in ways we can't even begin to imagine. And Lord, as we look around this world, we have never needed the church more than we do right now. So release us in beautiful ways. And Jesus, thank you for saving us and loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, especially if you were one of those guys that like, here's the IV, and I didn't really receive that, our prayer team would, will be up here. If you want to come and receive prayer, we would love to minister to you. Otherwise, you're released, and uh, just make your way back to community groups and take a look and figure out where you want to be. Thanks, guys.